I have spent my entire lifetime listening to the narrative that comes from Luke chapter 2 about the birth of Jesus. In high school, uh, uh, my youth choir at my home church, Oakland United Methodist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, the youth choir that year put on a Christmassy play, and it was called No Vacancy. And uh, I was the innkeeper and had no room in my inn for Mary, Joseph, or the baby Jesus at all. There was no space, nothing at all. And uh, I will not, uh, I will, there, there is only one chorus that I can remember, but I'm not going to sing it for you. But it's something like, you know, there's no vacancy, there's no vacancy at Bethlehem Inn, there's no vacancy. Now, uh, uh, and of course, the jumping off part uh, about making room for Jesus and there wasn't room at an inn in town when everybody was tired and came trudging in. And I can't tell you how many Rankin Christmas animated carols I've seen where, you know, coming, at, uh, coming into town just as Mary was about to deliver and rushing in, no space, rushing to the stable, all of that good kind of stuff. And I was prepared all week long for that end story to be the story I was going to talk about today. And then I had the audacity to read some more scholarly materials about the first century and first century architecture and Bethlehem in particular and I will say some more about that in just a moment. But let me read you just a portion of the story if you come to Christmas Eve or watch us online, because we'll be streaming 7 o'clock, be in person and on stream. You can catch either way. But uh, this is a part of the story. I'm not going to read the whole story. Uh, but I'm going to read a piece of the story from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus published a decree ordering a census of the whole Roman world. This first census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All the people were instructed to go back to the towns of their birth to register. And so Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David, Bethlehem in Judea, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. He went to register with Mary, his espoused wife, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her delivery. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She put him in a simple cloth wrapped like a receiving blanket and laid him in a feeding trough for cattle because there was no room for them at the inn. This is the gospel for this morning. Praise be to God. Now, as I spent the week with this story, I pictured this in. Uh, recently, I, I did a little uh, traveling to do some work for Appalachia Service Project, and they put me up in a hotel for uh, several days. And so I know about going to the front desk and ringing the bell and checking in and masks and walls between us and all those good kinds of things. Of course, 
Uh, as I read more deeply about, I try to start the week. My process is this, I start the week by just reading the text and letting it speak to me and where does it go? Where do I see it happening? And then as the week rolls on, I read some of the background that scholars have written about the text and all of that kind of uh, reality. Now what is very interesting as I read the scholars late in the week is that they messed with everything I have ever been taught about this night. First of all, Bethlehem was a small town, and it's very likely it would not have had what we would think of as a hotel. And the word is not in. The word that is used there is the same word that is used when Jesus sends his disciples ahead to find an upper room, a guest room in Jerusalem, for Passover celebration. It means guest room. The word in the text is guest room. The earliest it was translated as in was the King James Version. And it was probably translated as in because it made sense to 14th century, 15th century English translators. Because people in the 15th century did not have guest rooms if they were poor in their house. They didn't have that. They didn't have, they didn't have a sense of what it was like in first century Palestine. In first century Palestine, you had a main family room where everybody stayed. You had a guest room built onto the back of the house. And you had sort of a lower chamber adjacent to the family room where you got it. The sheep that you had or the donkey that you had or the cow that you had or the goat that you had slept at night. So they wouldn't be stolen by thieves or gotten by, uh, gotten by predators. And to add warmth to the house in the cold months, right there. That's where, and so the manger was in the main family room. That's where you fed the cattle. That's where you kept the sheep at night. The word that is used here does not mean, it, if you want to know, it's cataluma, just what you've always wanted to know in Greek. Now, forget it if you want to, but it means guest room. Every other usage, Luke uses it in the other place. And it's not that Luke doesn't know a word for in. Because if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan saves the guy who fell among robbers, he takes him to an inn, a wholly different word than Cataluma, and puts him up. So the idea that there is a stable is not even mentioned here. We've romanticized it over the years. There was no room for them at the inn, so we put them in a stable. When in fact, they didn't have stables. First century peasants couldn't afford to build stables. They had guest rooms, and they had a main room with room enough for the few animals that a peasant family might have. So what does this whole thing mean? Mary arrives into town, and there's no room in the guest room. So where would Mary and Joseph have to stay? With the main family. They would have to stay in the family room, the single family room where the family stayed, lived, cooked, shared meals, slept at night. 
They would have had to be there because there was no room. Walk with me through this for just a moment. In the first century Palestine, and to this day in the Middle East, hospitality is the highest, highest regarded ethic among all people. No one would think of putting a pregnant girl in a stable. It may have made medieval, medieval scholars more comfortable to put her in a stable so she didn't have a whole bunch of people around her while she was giving birth to the Son of God. Might have made them more comfortable. But chances are pretty good that instead the men went outside and women gathered around to help Mary, to midwife her as she was giving birth to the Son of God, to Jesus. And there might have been cows hanging around, but they didn't care. They were chewing their cud, as the case may be. So all of this, now let's, if you want to keep your inn, if you want Bethlehem Inn where there's no vacancy, that's perfectly fine, because none of us really know anymore. The word in the Bible is not in, it's the guest room. But it keeps being translated in because the King James Version did, so we just follow suit. Uh, but imagine with me the push that this puts on us. First of all, to be hospitable. Uh, everybody is descending on Bethlehem who is originally from there. And so you can imagine that Mary and Joseph arrived in plenty of time. But the guest room in some member of their house, because this is where Joseph was from. That's what the story tells us. The guest house of some relative of Joseph was already full. So the family would have taken him in. It would have been a matter of honor. You wouldn't dare let a, a pregnant woman and her husband uh, sleep outside or in a stable somewhere. They make room in an already small room for this pregnant family. They make space. And it's in that space, perhaps, that Jesus is born. It's no longer just an inconvenience of they were out in the stable. Nobody bothered with them. You know, it was the animals. Instead, the family has to be put out. Some member of Joseph's extended family is put out. And they're honored to do so. And they would have helped birth the baby Jesus into the world. Now, when I hear this story in this new light, now, next year, who knows? But this year, when I hear it in this new light, I think about how inconvenient Jesus is for us. Can we just be honest with each other? We like him as a neat little baby wrapped up in our hearts with some pretty ornaments on a tree. But as soon as he starts asking us to make room for the other, we become uncomfortable. Because the other might be different than us. They might believe differently about vaccination. They might feel differently about masking. They might feel differently about our democracy. They might feel differently about religion. They might feel differently uh, or look differently than us economically or skin color or 
uh, ethnicity or any of those kinds of things. Making room for the other is not something we do happily. Once we've taught our children to share, we stop sharing once they go off to school. Why don't you have a, a pencil anymore? Well, because I gave it to somebody else. You taught me to share. Don't give away the pencils. We can only afford so many of those. Sharing goes away by the time we're six or seven years old. By the time we're adults, we don't share anything. <laughs> Making room for the other and sharing is what Christmas is all about. And it's evidenced if we hear this story in a slightly new way about a family that made room in an already crowded family room for the birth of a baby because there wasn't room with good etiquette for somebody to sleep and give birth in the guest room. They wouldn't think twice about making room. And yet I find myself thinking twice about making room all the time. I don't want to be stretched. I want to like who I like and not like who I don't like. That's what I really want. If I am being honest with you, it's not always easy to like the people that are unlikable. And everybody's unlikable looks different. I, I recently attempted to have a conversation, what I thought was a conversation, with a person who disagreed with me about vaccinations. And what I said, it, it might have been like I grew horns and a long red tail and was spewing fire with my pitchfork at them. Now, I, I thought I was being pretty calm, but it turned into a heated debate that ultimately I had to say, listen, we, we disagree, and we're just gonna have to disagree. And I don't wanna continue this conversation because, you know, I'm old and my blood pressure can't take this anymore. I didn't say the old and blood pressure part, but I said it's clear we're just not gonna agree. Of course, I did not get the last word in that conversation. The last word in that conversation was given to me by the other who said, well, of course, you don't want to argue because you're wrong. And I said nothing and walked away. Making room for the other is really hard in a world where we have drawn lines and taken corners and gone nowhere. Where we are all certain we are right. I have never met a person in my life who wasn't sure they knew the right answer to whatever question I asked. We are all so certain we are right that we can't make room for anyone else because we think life is a game of right and wrong, true and false. And we think true means factual and false means non-factual. I don't know whether there was an inn, Bethlehem Inn, in the first century. But when I read the scholar and then another scholar who said chances are pretty good in Bethlehem who wasn't on a major road, what we think of as an inn probably didn't exist. And I thought, well, this totally messes up my sermon. <laughs> I had a whole sermon planned around Bethlehem Inn. 
And what if it was that instead a family had to make room in their own part of the house instead of just the guest room? What would it be like if we made room for those who saw the world radically differently than we do and did so in love? Because that's what Christmas is. I know we're not at Christmas yet, but Christmas has already happened. God made room for us. God tried over and over again to tell us how much love there was. Love was God's meaning from the beginning. That was the meaning of everything. And God hoped against hope against hope that we would learn to love. But apparently prophets and priests and teachers did not seem to get the point across to the majority of us. And so God came in person. That's what we say. That's what we believe. That's what I know. God became one of us. The divine dwelt among us and invited us to see that love was God's meaning. God, love is God's meaning. God, God's meaning will always be love. Always be love. In the end, that's the whole reason that makes this life worth pressing through is love. Not just the warm, fuzzy feeling, but the actual grit and dirt of making room in our one-room house for the pregnant woman who has nowhere else to go and her husband. And not out of some sense of obligation, but because love is why God does everything. And we are meant to do things the way God does them. That's what God hopes for us from the beginning, gave us a choice. Birds can't help but be birds. Squirrels can't help but be squirrels. Grass can't help but be grass. But human beings can help but be anything but what God made us to be sometimes. Love reflected everywhere. I'm, I'm pretty sure if Mary and Joseph showed up at the front door right now at our house, pregnant, I would call the local shelter. I would find somewhere else. I'm pretty sure I'm not, I'm not sure I would invite them in. Have you been vaccinated? Will you wear a mask? Those would be my first questions. Not, of course you're welcome. There's always space. There's always space in God's kingdom. And some family, maybe in the first century, if these scholars are right, because their guest room was already full, their cataluma was already full, made room around the hearth and the family room for two weary travelers who gave birth 
to the one we call the Son of God, whose name means salvation, Jesus. Will you make room in your home for other ideas, other ways of seeing, for love itself, without regard for who's right or wrong? I'd like to believe I would, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. But God's working on me and hasn't given up yet. It's time for us to pray. I don't know if we have any, we have no additional prayer requests. My last report about David is that he's still at home. Uh, if he's not, he'll probably text Linda and Linda will let us know. But uh, my last word was that David is still at home. Um, I want us to pray in this season for all of those who are struggling, trying to find the way, those who feel alienated, broken, lost, and alone, those who wonder about the future, those who are exhausted after two years of pandemic, and yet another variant is coming, and wondering what cancellations this mean, what changes to life this mean. Who could have imagined two years later we'd still be struggling with the same thing? Who? And yet we are. For the heaviness we all feel sometimes in this season, for some of the magic that we're used to experiencing in this season, maybe is not quite as lustrous as it has been. Maybe it is. Maybe you feel all the magic. Galen probably feels all the magic. Yeah. But for some of us, the heaviness bears us down. So I want to pray for all those who feel heavy in this season. For those who are hungry and homeless, who are struggling in this season, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that we would, our hearts would be open to make room in whatever way God calls us to in this world. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us. And then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. You pray whatever version you know. We'll have a version on the screen, so if you don't know any version and you want to pray the one we've got, you can read that along with us. But if you know one already, you know it in your own language, feel free to do it whatever way you wish. But we will end our time of prayer with the Lord's Prayer. Let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Gracious and loving God, we are thankful for the reminder that Julian of Norwich gave us this morning that love was always your meaning. In everything, all the time, love is your meaning. 
We're also quick to admit, at least I am, that I like things to stay manageable and in control in my life. And uh, being overly hospitable would be challenging to me. Uh, and making room for the other who doesn't agree with me just doesn't make sense. Unless I remember, love is your meaning. Love always has been your meaning. Love always will be your meaning for me and for all of us. I don't know what happened in the first century exactly. I don't know if there was an inn in Bethlehem like all of the uh, cool stories that I've been told or whether it was a stable that's not even mentioned in the Bible or whether it was in the family room of a peasant family in Bethlehem. Wherever it was, I know you were born among us. I know you live among us. I know in the end it's all about your love for us. Unconditional. Thank you for the gift of this season, for the opportunity to look at stories that remind us of who we are and whose we are and where we belong in this world and to struggle with them and to ask if they even vaguely mean what we thought they did originally. Help us to always remember love is your meaning. We pray for all those who are struggling in this season. We pray for those who are hungry, those who are homeless, those who don't have enough to keep them warm, those who live from paycheck to paycheck, those who struggle in all sorts of ways, those who are fighting the depression and the isolation and the loneliness that has come in these two years of pandemic. We pray, oh God, that we might be your hands, feet, eyes, mouthpiece, that we might bear your hope and reflect your love in this world. May we be filled to overflowing with your goodness. And give us the heart to empty that overflowing onto everyone we meet in positive ways. Oh Lord, we ask it in the precious and holy name of an infant born 2,000 years ago who grew into a man who called upon us to live as people of the kingdom. It's now using the model that he taught us that we pray together saying, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.